1: It's time for Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. I I think it's fair to say that late yesterday afternoon was one of those moments that get journalists' adrenaline pumping at the highest levels possible. A surprise announcement that the New York grand jury uh, had indicted uh, Donald Trump on uh, presumably criminal charges. The indictment is sealed for the time being. Um, And um, in moments like that, we all scramble, journalists, to see what we can uh, learn, how we can write the story, how we can talk about it. Natalie Menenthal, Chase McGee, and I said, well, we got to change our panel for tomorrow and bring in some people who can really talk about this with expertise. So, you know, on one hand, it's an exciting time. But on the other hand, I I think it's safe to say it's a profoundly sad day in many ways. This historic criminal indictment of a former president of the United States never happened uh, before. And we're going to spend a good amount of time on the show today talking about that with a terrific panel, just the right panel for this discussion, starting with uh, Jim Galloway, former political columnist for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Jim, um, you know what I'm talking about when I say it really gets our adrenaline pumping.
2: Well, I, I will tell you what. I mean, this was this was not supposed to be a surprise. Everybody had been talking about this for the last two weeks since since Trump himself declared that he was going to be arrested on March twenty first, and here we are, you know, ten, ten days later. But I will tell you, uh, when 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 that that the the first announcements of this indictment hit my my cell phone, uh, I I just looked at my my wife and said. Here we go. It's it's it, it. It was just profoundly, uh, uh,
1: more earth-shaking. I think than I than I thought it would ever be. Well, uh, Matt Brown, democracy reporter for the Washington Post, who joins us. Uh, one of the reasons it was so shocking is that just that morning we had learned that Alvin Bragg, the Manhattan DA, had announced that the grand jury was basically taking April off, and so everyone came to the conclusion that that meant uh, that there may be some reason they were delaying uh, uh, voting on an indictment for uh, Trump. So I think that's one of the reasons we were also shocked when it suddenly hit the wires.
3: Right. Good morning, Bill. Yes. And and no one was more shocked. And apparently, as we reported at the Washington Post, Trump's own prosecu- um Trump's own advisors, they were very caught off guard by this. They were very surprised. And I think that like the country, um, everyone now is um, everyone now, including in Trump's orbit, are going into very uncharted territory at the moment, at least for this country. So it's going to be very interesting to see how this unfolds over the coming weeks as, as we grapple with this, not just from a legal perspective, but a political one.
1: I'm very happy that we have two JDs with us uh, today, two uh, 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 legal scholars. Uh, Adrian Jones is a professor of political science and the director of pre law at Morehouse College. Hi, Adrian. We haven't seen you for a while, so I'm really glad you're here today.
0: Hi, Bill. I am uh, very pleased to see you as well.
1: And Anthony Michael Christ, professor of law at Georgia State University. Anthony, you have been uh, a go-to guy on uh, uh, questions about Trump here in Fulton County, but elsewhere as well, other investigations as well for uh, the national media for some time now. And I'm very glad that for a while you've been doing our show. So thanks for being here today.
4: I am always glad to be here, and the adrenaline is equally high for uh, <clears throat> law professors and people scientists everywhere,
1: I can assure you of that. All right, so we're going to talk about this case uh, in in the broadest terms, um, but then we'll bring it back to what it means here in Georgia. But if, if you'll all indulge me, I think that Peter Baker wrote an, an analysis in the New York Times that is sobering and well worth just giving you a little piece of to set up our conversation. So here's just some of what Peter Baker wrote. So many unthinkable firsts have occurred since Donald J. Trump was elected to the White House. So many inviolable lines have been crossed. So many unimaginable events have shocked the world that it is easy to lose sight of just how astonishing this particular moment really is. For all of the focus on the tawdry details of the case or its novel legal theory or its political impact, the larger story is as of a country heading down a road it has never traveled before, one fraught with profound consequences for the health of the world's oldest democracy. For more than two centuries, presidents have been held on a pedestal, even the ones uh, swathed in scandal declared immune from prosecution while in office and effectively even after no longer that taboo has been broken a new precedent has been set will it tear the country apart as some feared about putting a former president on trial after watergate will it be seen by many at home and abroad as victors justice akin to developing nations where former leaders are imprisoned by their successors or will it become a moment of reckoning, a sign that even someone who was once the most powerful person on the planet is not above the law? I think, Jim Galloway, that frames the most sobering and largest implications of this in a really wonderful way to start our conversation. Yeah, and
2: in in, in, in a very frightening way, too, I, th- I think. Uh, we have been, it's, it's interesting. We've come so close <clears throat> to this moment before. I mean, I mean, when, when, when Richard Nixon, uh, resigned in, in August, 1974, uh, I, I, he fully expected to be indicted. Uh, uh, Ford helped him, uh, Gerald Ford helped him escape that with a pardon that he, that he accepted, which as our legal experts will tell you is, is an admission of guilt of some kind. Uh, and then you had the case of, uh uh I, I think this 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 particular case may be more relatable to to Bill Clinton's uh uh facing uh, uh, a perjury accusation uh over his relationship with Monica, Monica Lewinsky back in the mid mid 90s uh Clinton avoided that by cutting a deal with with Kenneth Starr uh and and uh and giving up his his law license uh for, for a time this what we what we have in Trump is someone who is not willing to cut that deal, who is never willing to 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 make any kind of admission of guilt. And I think that's what
1: really has led us down this path. Matt, what are your thoughts on uh, on all of this and, and certainly through the lens of what Peter Baker wrote?
3: Right. I think that obviously we're at a very precarious moment in the country. This is unprecedented as as has been discussed but also this is something that other countries have experienced and while it is true that you know struggling democracies developing countries have seen this become a, a negative doom loop in some ways in which case you know the the prosecution of former leaders could, Continues to you know just become a partisan exercise instead of an exercise in accountability. You know, very advanced, robust democracies with strong rule of law, including close U.S. allies, do prosecution of former leaders all the time for things a lot smaller than what we are grappling with here in the United States. It's not it's not a Watergate. You don't have to get to a Watergate situation in Sweden or the United Kingdom for you to be you know charged or for it to be a major scandal. Um, simple like you know impropriety or indecency um, of character can sometimes get you some pretty hefty fines over there for some things. So I think it's in that context important to understand that this is something that there is precedent for in a global context and that the US can weather this. The question is do we have the political will and resolve to find a way out of this that is beyond just the legal question at hand but also one that you know keeps the country together and keeps our understanding of the legitimacy of the process together.
1: Um, Anthony, uh, many people, many legal scholars, uh, have compared the uh, New York uh, district attorney's case with what Fonnie Willis is uh, in doing here, her investigation, and said that Alvin Bragg's case seems uh, much more tenuous than what Fonnie Willis and the Department of Justice in their investigations may come up with. So let's talk about it. Again, the indictment has been sealed. It won't be opened until uh, uh, Trump appears in court. Now we think he'll surrender on Tuesday. But essentially, they are investigating how his uh, organization, is it the campaign or is it the Trump company uh, that may have uh, illegally and criminally hidden the hush payment of $130,000? To stormy daniels to repay michael cohen for making that payment anthony
4: so i think it's important to detail what we know and what we don't know in terms of the new york case and that certainly will help us i think understand how this relates to the georgia case and the, the differences between the two we don't know because the indictment is sealed precisely what Alvin Bragg is is bringing in terms of either charges or the theory of criminality behind those charges but it seems to be the case that the allegation is at bottom that Donald Trump falsified business documents in classifying the payments for this hush money as something that it wasn't and and so the the that might have tax implications right in terms of Hiding hiding what the payments were for it it could be it could have a number of different implications beyond just uh the 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 you know the payments themselves. um now the the thing about this is is that these are charges. These are incidents that happened years ago. um those the statute of limitations in New York was told once Donald Trump moved to Florida. So that's why these are still in play um in addition to. Some COVID delays, but these are fairly old charges about business records. Now, that's that's kind of we'll put that in one silo. But on the on the other hand, I think the the critique of these is that while Donald Trump may have committed business record fraud or violated business record law, it doesn't speak to the heart of our democracy in the way that the Fulton County cases uh, do, or potentially. Case in Fulton County will do. And and I think that that's what people are struggling with. At the end of the day, Donald Trump tried to overturn an election in Georgia, and he used Georgia as the predicate act for instigating an insurrection. And I think that people want him held to account for that. And I think there's reasons in history, like looking to reconstruction, um you know when we don't hold anti-democratic forces to account they metastasize and and they they feel emboldened to continue uh, to to work against democracy and so that's i think the 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 substance uh, the substantive difference between what's happening in New York and what's happening here in Georgia and some of the reasons why i think people are diverging in terms of how they see these cases
1: adrian um we should remember that the trump uh, legal team <clears throat> Uh, Excuse me. Uh, Once we have the indictment, um, if it is based on breaking campaign finance laws, uh, 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 bookkeeping practices that are illegal, they may, in fact, move to have it dismissed pretty quickly. And they, according to some legal uh, experts, they may have a case for Alvin Bragg to bring a case in New York um, that involves federal campaign laws. Um, may in fact be something a court will look at and say you can't do it. Now we don't know how that's going to play out, but it is certainly one of the concerns about this case, right? I, I it
0: is, and I think it's possible that you know to show that there are fraudulent uh, financial dealings, but you know in order to connect it to a federal election and. Um, I just lost my train of thought in order to connect it to a federal election and in order to make sure that they're able to prove that he was making those choices in order to impact the election, um, I think is a harder sell. And of course, we're already half a day in, in a situation where Alvin Bragg and um, you know his office is taking an incredible amount of flack. And I guess by the end of last night, it led me to think, I'm not sure what will happen with this New York case, but it certainly has opened the door such that Fannie Willis um, and uh, his name is uh, the prosecutor in D.C., um, you know, don't have to be the Jack's first men. to actually bring indictment, the right And then their cases appear to be stronger without us you know, getting into the details of those yet.
1: All right. I want to talk about, of course, the politics of all this in a few minutes. But before we get to that, let's let's talk a little bit more, uh, Anthony, about what we might expect logistically in all of this. Trump is in Florida living at Mar-a-Lago. Ron DeSantis yesterday, as governor of Florida, said, I won't cooperate with an extradition order from New York to send Trump to New York. <clears throat> Obviously, a political statement on his part, because it appears that Trump has already, his lawyers have already said he's going to surrender voluntarily. Um, so Trump goes to New York. Uh, he shows up there. What ha- He's going to be booked and arraigned like any other defendant in a criminal case. What does that look like, Anthony?
4: Yeah, so first of all, I don't want to accuse Ron DeSantis of caring about the Constitution, but he doesn't have a choice in terms of extradition had that been resisted by Donald Trump. The Constitution (laughs) imposes that duty upon him. Um, But yes, Donald Trump will be booked uh, and arraigned just like anybody else. He'll be brought in um, a mugshot will be taken, and and the right the the kind of criminal procedure that applies everybody else will apply to him. Um, I will note that the mugshot under New York law does not get uh, produced for the public, so that we will we should not see. Um, but he will be brought in open court, and the charges will be read, and and he will be asked to make a plea, just like anybody else, and then uh, he'll probably be sent um, you know on his own recognizance uh, back. Home and uh, we'll wait for a trial date, just like every anybody else.
1: Wait, wait, Anthony, you're telling us that he's going to be released without having to pay a cash bail. That's contrary to everything Republicans believe we ought to be doing in criminal cases these days. <laughs> well,
4: I'll just say this: there, I have, I have seen a number of liberals who I, I regretfully you know i've seen call for him to be you know jailed in the interim and and that is like you know no we we the 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 bottom line here is donald trump is going to be treated like every other criminal defendant in new york and and that's i think that's a really important principle
1: jim and then adrian
2: uh yeah a couple of points here uh number one on on DeSantis, uh i don't think that donald trump would want to uh have it uh, i i don't he, he would not want uh, Ron DeSantis to be uh, his protector in this case. I don't think he would. He would like to see Ron DeSantis taking credit for shielding him against the the vagaries of of the New York uh, legal system. So I think that's as one of the reasons. I think I'm I'm pretty sure he'll show up on t- on Tuesday. Uh, I am disappointed in the mugshot thing. Because it was it, uh, he, he, Bill. Uh, these most most of the rest of our panels are, are are very young, as we 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 talked about on air. But <laughs> but uh, do you remember Tom Delay, the House Majority Leader, Republican out of Texas, who was who was who was arrested? And he was, he was he was he was he was he was cuffed. He was processed, and and when when he when he got in front of the 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 the, the uh, deputy who was taking his mugshot, he broke out this this ninety watt smile, and just yep. it was just it was almost like a a, a, a photo shoot. I mean a, a a a magazine shoot, and and that that mugshot. We didn't have the internet then, but it went viral. Uh, and, and then then maybe Adrian, if, if you're you're next up, so maybe you can answer this for me. But if okay, if you have a if if this is a two prong uh approach that that Bragg is taking in New York, uh, it's 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 the it, the the underlying crime is a misdemeanor, but it becomes a felony if it's used in commission of another crime, say fine, uh campaign finance violations or such. If if those two are severed if 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 uh, if you if you don't get the the federal uh, upgrade on that does is, is is what happens to the misdemeanor charge is it subject to a a, a statute of limitations
0: i think they are subject to a statute of limitations and i think new york gets very little if they cannot advance to that um campaign um offense Um, But I got to be in this conversation with Natalie about Al Sharpton commenting that, um, you know, this is sort of the chickens coming home to roost for Trump, you know, after he made that $85,000 ad buy in 1989 against the Central Park Five calling for the death penalty, um, calling for the return of the police. Um, And he said, you know, in part, the same courthouse where the exonerated five were falsely convicted for a crime that they did not commit. Uh, You know, Trump is going to take that same perp walk um, and presumably experience what the criminal justice system is like. Um, I think we have to pause and understand that Trump will probably not have the same experience as the Central Park Five, um, and that they were not in any way guilty of the crimes that they were being accused of. But at the same time, I think it's interesting Um, to say the least, to see him actually being arrested, especially where the former president has such a long list of um, attempts to evade the law, um, arguable illegal behavior, um, and in particular, the use of all of this behavior, which he will use this New York situation and the others um, to claim that, you know, hit the results in the 2024 election, are impacted particularly if the outcome is negative for him.
1: Matt, um, I let's. I want to go back to the mugshot issue uh, and, and then talk about perp walks and all that sort of thing. Um, it, it is interesting that you know. Last night I went back and forth. I mean, like in the two different universes, watching CNN for a while, going over to see what Fox was saying about all this, and of course the Fox commentators. We're all talking about the fact that, I mean, obviously they were saying it's purely a political uh, witch hunt, whatever. And and one of the things they were pointing to, and in very angrily, was the fact that Democrats are going to take this mugshot and they're going to th- put it all over social media and try to brand Trump as a criminal. Obviously, having no understanding of what Anthony pointed out to us, which is there are instances um, especially when a fugitive is involved in which mugshots are released in new york but typically they are private now i want let's talk about the political side of that plus matt um there's not going to be a perp walk uh they'll take him in through the garage or something there are going to be questions as to whether he will be handcuffed even briefly but you know matt you could argue there's a part of donald trump that might really revel in a perp walk in which he can strut in looking, the Tom DeLay approach, Matt. Right. Exactly.
3: Yes, I think that this is going to be. It's important for everyone to understand that campaign finance issues, like we're talking about, are a white collar crime, and the president is, you know, the the white collar figure of the country. Um, that's that's the most white collar job that you can possibly have. So, you know, the these questions around what accommodations can the Manhattan District Attorney put in place to make sure that you know the Secret Service is accommodated, so that um, there's national security questions, even just having Trump's fingerprints, for instance, um, to make sure that that. This doesn't have to become a political circus unless trump wants it to become one just here in the fulton county district attorney for instance they had plenty of high profile um you know sitting senators the governor people come into the um district attorney's office to speak um before special grand jurors and that that was not something where you had um even in the case of rudy giuliani especially you know big you know crowds or didn't have to be a big hoopla um, if Trump wants to make this a thing, he's very capable of doing it. But that doesn't necessarily mean that he has to. It's already a thing, very politically in the in the environment that we're in, though, as you've discussed. Um, Republicans were just rallying all last night, saying that um, they were, you know, absolutely outraged by this, and that they have also just underscored that he is still trump the central figure in the in the republican party and conservative politics in this country to the point that even his rivals and um allies were all rallying around him
0: i guess i see no scenario in which trump does not relish the opportunity to take back the news cycle um to be the center of attention to use this to create um resentment within his base um i i just Uh, I mean, first of all, we're going to get a mugshot. The meme makers are at work right now (laughs) making sure that all of those images are available. And I mean, I feel like we're in a cultural moment where, you know, to a degree I'm describing it, I think, as sort of a return to like a state's rights position. Right. This cultural idea that um, there isn't there should be an imbalance between people in power, um, that different people deserve different amounts of power and, um, you know, This gives Trump a significant amount of fuel. Last night, he's already, you know, soliciting these 24 and $47 campaigns, right? Um, It actually makes me nervous for people on the ground because, you know, I think it agitates um, discomfort, discord, and uh, violence that we've seen already, for example, on January 6th.
1: Um, before we have to get to a break, and by the way, when we come back from the break, we're going to talk more about Georgia reaction uh, to the indictment. Um, Anthony, uh, uh, Jim started us off by reminding us that um, it appeared that Richard Nixon, uh, when he left office, might be indicted uh, for a variety of offenses related to Watergate. And as Jim pointed out, uh, of course, uh, Gerald Ford pardoned him saying it was time to heal that the country needed to um, heal. And of course, that's been an argument about Trump as well, that we really are just going to stir things up. As Peter Baker suggested, although he doesn't say it's wrong, this opens the door for local prosecutors all over the country to start investigations of political figures they may not, they may feel have done something wrong and they'd also like to uh, uh, score points against. Uh, so... It it does strike me that this is the moment when we all as Americans have to decide whether no one truly is above the law, regardless of the political consequences. Yes?
4: I think so. So I think there are two important points, one more historical and one more theoretical. The historical point here is I think Very often, there's this mythology around the pardoning of Richard Nixon by Gerald Ford as being incredibly good and healthy for the country because the country was able to move on. But what it actually did was was solidify a principle that presidents can get away with things and and then use national healing as an excuse to immunize them. It's a very similar argument that was made to immunize ex-Confederates, and that decision doomed reconstruction and and a lot of our problems I think today are a consequence of the decision to be way too forgiving of of traitors in the mid-19th century. So that's the first thing. The second point I think is important here is the rule of law means something that I don't think people necessarily understand. Um, The rule of law does not mean that everybody has to be prosecuted for everything all the time if a case can be made that is inconsistent with prosecutorial discretion. We need to be mindful of why we prosecute people, is it worth our resources? Are we being overbearing? Are we overcriminalizing? Um you know, are the political consequences that do need to be taken into account. That's that's an important dynamic to understand. But at the same time, the rule of law cannot permit people to be wholesale immunize from prosecution simply because of who they are or a position they formerly held. And, and I think that that's the tension we see in the New York case, because on the one hand, Donald Trump should not be immune from prosecution simply because he's Donald Trump, former president of the United States. On the other hand, that does not necessarily mean just because he's Donald Trump that we have to prosecute him or that we have to go after these particular uh, cases because um, you know, there's some principle involved
1: there as well. So we got to get to a break, but I want to take a moment. I'm going to take a moment of personal privilege here. When Gerald Ford, uh, pardon Richard Nixon, my father, who was an independent journalist, uh, started researching what was going, what had happened. And he was able, through a long period of investigation, to prove, and and I think it was the Nation magazine that published his article, that in fact, Uh, contrary to what he said publicly, Gerald Ford and Richard Nixon had cut a deal that would give uh, Nixon a pardon and uh, in in exchange for stepping down. Um, So I've always been proud of my dad for that. And I can't help but mention it on the show today. Let's get uh, uh, to a break. We'll be back with more in a minute.
2: Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News, bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else. Join me, Peter Biello, for this quick and convenient way to get the best of GPB News' extensive coverage of the topics that matter to you, delivered directly to your device every weekday afternoon.
1: Anthony Michael Kreiss, Matt Brown, Jim Galloway, um, and Adrian Jones join us for today's Political uh, Rewind. Matt, let's talk about Georgia and reaction to all this. It's interesting, I think, um, first of all, we should point out that Congress recessed last night. So um, a lot of members uh, were on airplanes probably heading back to their districts when uh, news of this broke. So we don't have a whole lot of reaction yet Uh, But I'm sure we'll get it as uh, today goes on and over the weekend, for instance, when members come back to Georgia and are questioned about this in various public appearances. But, Matt, it's interesting the range of Republican response in Georgia. So, um, for instance, (laughs) let's go to the most outraged of them all, Marjorie Taylor Greene. She noted uh, in a statement that she said there was a profound irony over the fact that she was at the Civil War battlefield in Gettysburg when she learned that Trump was now facing criminal charges. And then the quote is, my president is innocent and the only one standing in the way of these modern-day tyrants, just like our founding fathers did, to protect us, each of us, from evil, President Trump. Uh, A little distressing that Marjorie Taylor Greene conjures up not only the Civil War, but the founding fathers uh, fighting for freedom from uh, the British. Yeah, no,
3: Marjorie Taylor Greene, over the past couple of weeks and months, um, for much of her political career actually, has um, alluded to claims of political violence or implications of political violence. And that is definitely something that you're seeing in a lot of hard right spaces right now. Um, basically seeing that this is, you know, a, a call to arms almost that, that Trump um, could be potentially indicted. And that is obviously very alarming, very concerning for the health of our democracy. Um, you're also seeing, you know, and um, you know, Representative Andrew Clyde came out and said that he believed that this was an example of America's two tier justice system, um, which is something that is, you know, a fascinating inversion of you you know the discourse that you normally hear Democrats and Republicans talk about on this issue. So I think that you know at the same time you're also seeing you know Democratic representatives in the state join other Democrats nationally and saying that just literally a lot of them have just tweeted out no president is above the law and I think that um, no person is above the law excuse me and I think that that di- dynamic between you know a party seeking accountability and um, trying to. In, in, uphold the rule of law versus a party that in a lot of ways as you, as evidenced by representative green are seeing the entire system as fraudulent or illegitimate i think is it's a recipe for disaster that we do need to find a way to avoid or an off ramp to this because the the only way that that there's not a good way that that particular dynamic can end. So there needs to be a way that we can politically de-escalate this because calls to violence for um, political accountability or legal accountability is not something that we can do in a healthy democracy.
1: Yeah, and we should point out, so says one of the democracy reporters for the Washington Post. Jim, on the other hand, uh, you had Doug Collins, former Congressman Doug Collins, who, of course, has defended Trump while he was in The U.S. House was one of his most vociferous defenders, and he had a fairly low-key statement. He said it was a politically motivated case that seemed doomed to fail, which is what most Republicans are saying in some cases in much stronger language. But, Jim, but maybe most interesting is Brian Kemp said nothing at all. He, in fact, on social media posted a photograph of him standing in front of his barn saying he just hung two new flags: the American flag and the state flag of Georgia.
2: Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> earlier that day, uh, he he met at the Capitol with some guy, uh, Ron, uh, the governor of Florida. Who would have thought? Yeah. Uh, and yeah. and that that same governor of Florida at the same Capitol met with a couple dozen state, uh, Georgia state lawmakers, which kind of uh, you know kind of. Uh, 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 it's probably the most interesting thing that I've seen in Republican politics uh, since uh, since 2015, because uh, because you haven't seen that kind of uh, organized that, that that in essence was a was a revolt. Uh, you know, I've got I've got to I, I, I want to emphasize something that, that that Matt said. I and 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 Bill, you you referenced uh, Marjorie T- Taylor Green's uh, uh tweet. I I am just appalled at the 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 the. Uh, that was a mixed metaphor on about three or four or five historical <laughs> levels. Yeah. And uh, yeah. and you know, I I would at some point I would like to see some historical cons- uh, consistency out of out of out of uh, uh, the people defending Trump. It, it would just <laughs> it would just be refreshing, I
1: think. Um, Adrian, uh, as uh, Matt already really alluded to, it does appear, (laughs) at least right now, that Democrats are in that posture where they're saying, you know, let the other side, you know, take the heat. We don't need to add anything other than to say no one is above the law. Let's see how it plays out. Probably a smart strategy if they keep doing it. I guess I
0: want to Um, him to Marjorie Taylor Greene's point and to a a point that Anthony um, keeps trying to make, which is that, um, you know, presidents are above the law in the United States, right? This is a unique moment because presidents have not been indicted before. Um, And, you know, the point of the slavery and the post-Reconstruction systems are to have a situation where everyone is not subject to the law, everyone is not participatory in the political system. And, um, you know, this is an example. I mean, Marjorie Taylor Greene's comments are an example of that. Um, You know, I was explaining states' rights, for example, to my (laughs) class yesterday. And at the end of the day, I said, you know, it's make America great again. Right, and I mean this is this man's tagline, and it if he expertly uses that metastasization um, to encourage people to want to return to a situation where some people have power and are not going to be held accountable, and they are able to take advantage of other people, and at the same time control the political system, such that that is the uh, the norm. Um, this is the history of the United States, and you know.
1: Um, there's a lot of work to be done to work through that. Um, we're going to have a lot of time in the days ahead as this unfolds to talk about what we think the impact of this might be on um, you know, campaigning in Georgia, on who it benefits, Republicans or Democrats. So I'm not going to get into that in great depth right now. But I want to give both Anthony and Jim a final comment before the break. And Anthony, the question I want to ask you before I bring Jim back in is um, this is pure speculation but what does this mean do you imagine to, to how Fannie Willis is calculating her next steps here Tamar Hallerman pointed out on our show this past week that the next regular grand jury I think is scheduled to meet in uh, in Fulton County on May 1st that's not to say they couldn't already have a grand jury impaneled I think uh, dealing with this case alone. But no matter what, how, how do you imagine she calculates this in terms of timing of whatever she's going to do next? I know it's speculative.
4: I don't think that Fonnie Willis is looking to Alvin Bragg for signals as to what she's going to do or not going to do here in Fulton County. The, the There is a sitting grand jury. There are two actually right now. Um, There's nothing keeping her from pursuing charges before May. In fact, she has a May 1st quasi deadline now because there are uh, briefings that are due before Judge McBurney about Trump's motion to basically dismiss everything and anything that the special purpose grand jury did or uncovered in terms of evidence. So if anything, I, I suspect... We are certainly looking at sooner rather than later. If I had to put my money on it, which I don't have a lot of betting money to to you know throw out there, but if I did, my bet is, is that we're gonna see some movement before May first. And and I think um, you know, this this case in New York has no bearing on that decision.
1: Well, except it does strike me this is a perfect moment for Fonnie Willis to act. She's got a little cover from Alvin Bragg. Uh, Jim, you've got last comment before the break. Yeah, yeah. I, I,
2: I, one thing I will be looking at next week is, is how, do, how do Trump followers respond? Are there crowds in New York? I mean, he is, he is very uh, – obviously, he, he has been provoking his, his supporters, uh, at least financially – uh, uh, uh he's used to he used this uh this the pending indictment as as a as a as a fundraiser but I, I've gotta say I haven't seen a whole lot that the, the crowds around the New York courthouse have been very very sparse when it comes to Trump supporters and i'm 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 wondering how that reality really sinks into the base
1: well, that's a great point, and we'll all be watching for that not just in New York. But are we going to see uh, Trump pro-Trump rallies maybe break out here around the Fulton County courthouse and the like? All right, let's get to our final break of the show. We're going to come back and change subjects. We're going to talk a little bit about Mayor Dickens, who used his State of the City speech last week and a a, uh, publicity tour, essentially, to double down on his desire to build Cop City. We'll do that after these messages. One quick note, um, I have on a couple of occasions invited Drew Findling, who is one of the lawyers defending uh, Trump here in Fulton County, who is one of the toughest criminal defense lawyers in the southeast, uh, to come on the show, talk about what he sees here in Fulton County. And now more than ever, he's not involved in New York, but Drew, if you're listening, come on the show. We would love to hear how you are um, getting set for your case uh, in Fulton County, should it come to that? All right, hey Matt Brown. Um, th- this past week or so, Mayor Dickens has suddenly gone on a charm tour. He suddenly seems to have understood that the city has got to do a better job explaining why they believe it's so important to build this uh, police and fire training center in his state of the state city speech the other day, for instance. He really expressed it very strongly. Let's listen.
2: We need training facilities for our police and our firefighters so that the training facilities that we have have been long condemned. That's why we are building the -the state-of-the-art Atlanta Public Safety Training Center. Our firefighters will finally have a vehicle course to learn to drive those trucks through our neighborhoods to deliver life-saving care. Our police have a training course that will prepare them to address active shooters and domestic violent situations. Public safety is not just about
1: the numbers or the buildings or the vehicles. Public safety is about the people. Matt, I don't think it's unfair to say that Mayor Dickens is late to the game on this. They have not done, he and the other supporters of this, it's my impression, have not done a very good job countering the anti-cop city forces and getting out there and talking about it. Now Dickens is doing media appearances, gave that strong statement in the State of the City address. The question is, at this point, is he still, they're going to go ahead with it probably, but is is he still going to face terrible opposition?
3: Yeah, I think that it's fair to say that Dickens was seemingly caught blindsided by the level of resistance that came out of Atlanta from this and, um, you know, surprise, this is a very large city that has a lot of, you know, complex issues facing it, um, including, you know, you know, affordable housing, justice, you know, policing, the environment, and these are all things that came into All just you know, in unison when it came to the question of Cop City, and that I think has you know come back down on him, and he's responded by by having a much more upbeat tone and saying, "I'm going to you know become a happy warrior for saying that we're going to have affordable housing units in downtown Atlanta. I promise you that this is actually a good thing for the communities um, who are going to be around the site of this new police center and everything." But but I think that that is definitely while he's you know taking it in stride. We've obviously seen massive protests and, you know, um, you know, even even, you know, spars with cops over the future of this center. And Dickens is now basically having to backtrack and, and retroactively make a case for something that the city is clearly in a lot of ways very unhappy or at least extremely divided on.
1: Adrian, um we now have members of the Atlanta City Council speaking out. Um, we got some new council members who didn't vote on it in the first place and others who did, who are now saying, well, you know, there are ways that a contract like this can be voided. Maybe we should be looking at whether this is the right move to make. Now, Dickens, I don't think that Dickens is going to be dissuaded and that the council is going to somehow stop him from moving forward, but it just adds to the enormous controversy around this. And I think it does.
0: And I, I guess from my perspective, um, it seems to me that there is not very much sensitivity to the people's concerns. Um, You know, I see them talking about training. I see them talking about having a new facility that's going to be appropriate for police and fire. I've actually spoken to a couple of uh, cops and firemen who have earnestly stated that Um, The training facilities that they have are terrible and that it uh, impacts morale. Um, But I felt like, for example, when the mayor came to speak to students in the AUC, um, that he was very tone deaf with regard to the kinds of um, police brutality issues, for example, that my students are concerned about. And not to say that they would change course, but I did expect the mayor to sort of uh, acknowledge that people had um, concerns and perhaps address them uh, more gently than I have seen, um, you know, to date. And I think that kind of discussion is important in order to get people comfortable with the fact that the training center is going to be built.
1: Anthony.
4: Well, I think one of the hardest parts of this story is, is, the ultimate lesson of politics, or at least local politics, is that people, particularly who feel aggrieved and feel that their rights are being, you know, tight you know, or, or being pressed on, um, need to feel seen and heard. And I think the mayor has done a really great job of going to Buckhead and making people in Buckhead feel seen and heard. But he's not done a great job on the other end to to go to people who oppose Cop City and make them feel Seen and heard, and and really listen to their deep-seated concerns, and so there seems to be to be a kind of a dissonance between right the the movement that is kind of the the base of Mayor Dickens' support, right? Liberals in in urban areas like Atlanta who want criminal justice reform, but who also understand that maybe we need better training for for folks as well, and and we need to have a comprehensive approach. And it seems like we're not. Having a comprehensive approach, we're just kind of whack a whackamoleing these issues in a way that feels that makes nobody feel good at the end result. So, so I would hope that some synthesis, um, right, some kind of broader approach that uh, can can be undertaken here, where we get some community consensus across all of Atlanta, um, and not you know just kind of taking things as they come on an ad hoc basis.
1: You know, Jim, uh, the Atlanta Police Foundation is the organization, incredibly well-funded nonprofit that uh, has been behind this from the very start. There have been some criticisms, including on the show, that they haven't done a very good job explaining it to the public. In the AJC this morning, there was a quote from uh, someone at the Police Foundation. That said, Well, that's not our job. We're behind the scenes. Well, maybe it is part of their job.
2: Uh, yeah, yeah, I think the people with the money need to be 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 talking uh, quite a bit, uh, uh, quite a bit more than they are right now. I, I would, to, but to 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 build on what 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 Anthony was saying, I think uh, I think the mayor is caught in kind of a pincher movement. Uh, yes, there are the people on the on the left and 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 in 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 in, in black communities, Southwest uh, Atlanta, Southeast Atlanta, and and uh, they're concerned with with the quality of policing. But you also have uh, out of the Capitol, you have a, a governor who is more and more willing to insert law enforcement into into uh, the city limits of atlanta uh we we just have a, a we we've got a new we will have a new state patrol headquarters uh, office in buckhead right now uh yep. the the city of buckhead city still looms and i think it will be looming for 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 a good while uh You have an activist governor uh, in the state capitol who is very, very interested in inserting himself into the city of Atlanta affairs. And I think that is going to be that that's that's going to be that's going to continue for a while.
1: Yeah, I think that's going to be fascinating to watch. Um, All right. Real quickly, because we're really short on time, Uh, as you already pointed out, Jim, uh, Ron DeSantis was in Georgia yesterday, uh, presumably uh, promoting his new book. But of course, uh, also beginning to uh, lay out his possible presidential bid. He's been traveling around the country. As you said, he met privately with people at the Capitol. But um, Matt, let me ask you, he also went up to that gun store in Smyrna where Republicans love to hold rallies. They build themselves as the largest gun store in the world. And he had a crowd of about 600 people. So uh, there is some Uh, excitement about DeSantis uh, here in Georgia, apparently.
3: Well, there's definitely excitement about DeSantis in Georgia. I think that, you know, obviously there's a you know very robust conservative um, I, it's crazy it's crazy to say that but uh that we have to question that in in newly minted Battleground Georgia but obviously in um, Metro Atlanta you can still find a lot of Republicans who have shown that they are not interested in Trump's politics but that they are still very interested in Repu- in the Republican Party and DeSantis is a huge um you know lightning rod for a lot of those voters at the moment the question is you know can he not just come to places like you know the the Georgia suburbs and everything where a lot of voters have shown that they're not as receptive to Trump but but, but can he go through most of South Georgia? Can he go through most of North Georgia, where you really find a lot of, you know, also receptive Republican voters who are also still basically on board with Trump from what we can tell from the midterms in the 2020 election results? Are those the voters that he's going to be able to speak to as well? Or does Trump have a lock on them as well?
1: Yeah, that's the point, Jim. I mean, yes, DeSantis had a good sized crowd, but is this still Trump's state in terms of Republican votes if he really wants it to be you got about 10 seconds to say something about that yeah
2: yeah, yeah. I would uh, the most interesting thing about that that rally at the gun store was the presence of Brad Carver. Uh, he was a, a, yeah. a congressional a, a Republican congressional chairman, but he was also one of the, the the on the slate of fake electors and he was there.
1: Jim Galloway, Matt Brown, Anthony Michael Kreiss, and Adrian Jones, thank you for a terrific conversation today. By the way, the big political story aside from Trump next week is going to be this election of Wisconsin Supreme Court justice. It's going to say a lot about whether Wisconsin is red or blue and how they're leaning up there. Uh, We'll talk about that and a lot more. But now we're out of time. See you on Monday. Take care. Stay healthy. And please be good to one another.